0: Who you are defines how you build. This is the entrepreneurial thought leader series brought to you by Stanford eCorner. Today, I am so excited to welcome Dave Vassan to ETL. Dave is the founder and CEO of Brightwheel, the number one platform in early education and one of the fastest growing private SaaS companies. With Brightwheel, teachers save valuable time in the classroom, administrators can oversee the business, and parents get a real-time view of their child's day. Brightwheel is the top-reviewed product in early education, a 175 billion US market. Throughout his career, Dave has been a passionate leader in education technology at companies including Amazon, Cisco, Teach for America, and he was a consultant with Bain and Company as well. Dave is also a first-generation American. He holds a BA uh, from Stanford University, class of 2003. woohoo, And an MBA from the Wharton School. He lives with his wife and two daughters in the Bay Area. We're gonna kickstart with a video and huge welcome to you,
1: Dave. Thank you.
2: Hi, Sharks. My name is Dave Vasson. I'm the founder and CEO of Brightville. I'm here seeking a $400,000 investment for four percent equity stake in my company, ah. Brightwheel is the mobile app for preschools, daycares, and families, and we are completely revolutionizing early education. Now, I believe all of us are parents here, and I want to ask: when you come home after a long day, and you ask your kids, "What did you learn in school today?" Does this sound familiar?
1: You did everything I did, and I
2: don't like I tell you. you <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right, this is the experience for millions of parents across America every single day and especially for younger kids. You've been apart from your little human being for six, eight, ten hours a day and that is all you get. You know, you want to be a part of their day. You want to add to their learning once you come home and you can't. And it's gut-wrenching. And on the other side, on the school side, it's no better. In addition to actually educating our kids, teachers are managing a ton of paperwork Let's face it, they're actually managing parents, and on top of that, they're even running a business. The system is broken, and Brightwheel is the solution. So let's jump in and take a look at how Brightwheel works. So with Brightwheel, teachers can easily check kids in from the mobile app, they can log activities and assessments during the day, they can send quick updates, and they can even manage their business all in one place. And we're just seeing an amazing amount of photos every single day on Brightwheel, and this is the reason. You take it, you tag it, and you are absolutely done. And now we're gonna look at the teacher app. So this is the teacher's room, and we're gonna click on activities at the bottom here. And this is all being done on paper today. And so we've taken it and combined it and made it super fast and super easy. And so we're gonna click on nap here. And then we're gonna tag three kids that just went down for a nap. And the key about Brightwheel is that we're saving teachers time. You actually have measurably more time with kids every single day. And now we're gonna flip over real quick to the parent experience. So let's jump to the mobile app. This is actually my little girl, Serena, and this is her day. And as you can see, I get a sense of not only what she's doing, but what she's learning. And so when I come home, I can actually have a conversation with her about it. My connection with my little girl is so much deeper because of Right Wheel. And by the way, in the middle of a pretty tough day, it doesn't hurt to get a photo like this. Sharks, this is a unique opportunity to build a massive business that has a massive impact on people's everyday lives. And that's something that we hear every day. So I hope you're joining Serena and our team in bringing Brightville to every preschool, every daycare, and every family across the globe.
0: Wasn't that cool? (laughs) That was so cool. (laughs) I've watched that so many times, but I'm going to keep them all in suspense and not talk about Shark Tank until the very end. Deal. So let's start with actually how this all started like the origin story so you know you've been interested in education since your days at stanford and then teach for america and amazon and even when you weren't working directly in education you still sort of carried the through line yeah. and so you have a pretty special story about how this all got started would you be open
1: to sharing with no the audience of course about? yeah for me it, it does go way back so personal actually it has relationships with my time here at stanford so both my parents are immigrants. They, they came to the US, the very classic immigrant story. They kind of paid their way through school, were able to get an education. Like literally my, you know, my dad washing dishes in the cafeteria to, to make their way through. So growing up, it was always very clear that education was their bedrock, and enabled our family in a, in a very real, very tangible way to, to have the life that we had. So that was always there growing up. And then actually, when I, I don't always share this part of it, but when I came here, uh, literally my very first week on campus, I was in Unipro, if, anyone, if that speaks to anybody. Uh, and so the very first week on campus, we have like our first dorm meeting. I'll never forget this. And like we had a guest come in and it was a teacher from Teach for America who was over in East Palo Alto. And she came in and basically just asked for help. And she, she actually got emotional in the moment, just saying that she was really struggling with these fourth and fifth graders who were in a tough spot. Hmm. Now, I'll date myself, but back in like 1999, East Palo Alto was not what it is today. It was one of the worst zip codes in the US. And it was, it was really tough. And so I went out there you know, that week and kind of every Friday over the next four years. And what we saw were kids that were really truly headed like in the wrong mm-hmm. direction. And mainly through the work of their teacher, but this program that we helped create, you saw like a complete change mm. in the trajectory of their lives. And so for me, having experienced that in my life, having it seen it very real in theirs, the, the, the spark was there of, like, how do you scale that? Mm. How, where, where do you, where, how do you create that experience for, for ideally many, many more, not one to some, but one to many. And so I actually my senior year I created a, a piece of software to try to bring that to life. It never launched it. It was horrible. Like it was the, in the in the that was back in the day like the dot-com boom when when software you thought could, could solve everything, um, classic like software eating the world, but the spark was there. And so from my, my journey from there to Cisco to Amazon and everything in between has always been about whether it's the, the teacher, the parent, the child. How can tech be an enabler and a power and ideally something that creates scale for impact?
0: Amazing, amazing. So uh, you talk a little bit about fourth and fifth graders. So clearly you had already begun the discovery process, even you know, while you were an undergrad. But you didn't start Brightwheel until you had Serena on tow. Right. right. She was an infant. A lot of people yeah. think, oh, it'd be impossible to get a startup going like with <laughs> like an infant, right? I don't
1: recommend it, definitely, <laughs> but yes. Yeah.
0: But you did. And so like what inspired you to take that on yeah. uh, with Serena you know, as, I don't know, an 18-month-old in your arms? Yeah.
1: So at that point, I had like, so I, at Cisco, I, I worked on online learning, one of the first kind of main online learning courses. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Amazon, I, I helped build the education team for Kindle, kind of mm-hmm. taking that device to market. I even at one point worked on physical schools, creating them. So I had attacked and looked at education in a bunch of different ways, mainly in the K-12 space. And so I think a lot of uh, interest, investment, uh, and just entre- entrepreneurship ends up in that K 12 space, maybe in higher ed. And so I was at that moment in my career where then Serena shows up, our, our first child, and I never thought about what happens before the K of K through 12. And so, you know, K- that traditionally starts at age five or six. In retrospect, it's, it's very obvious that kids don't, don't just show up ready to go at age five or six, but like I had been zoned into that segment and never thought about what happens before. And when she showed up, I was the parent in charge of childcare. And I started going very, very deep in our space. And I can tell you more about it, but for me, what was profound was just the the impact that was there and the opportunity that was there. And so that that was the pull. And it wasn't, again, I d- actually don't recommend starting a company with, with like a, a three, four, or five-month-old um, at the time. It's not the easiest thing, um, but it, it was really inspired by you know by her coming into our lives.
2: Wow,
0: wow. Well, if, if somebody did have a three-month-old, any tips for them <laughs> if they were to start a startup with? that's in that sort of circumstance i
1: think mean, i think going eyes wide open like you know i think both are going to pull you at different moments in different ways and it's the, the early journey in particular entrepreneurship is really tough um so i, I don't think there's anything you can do to, to blunt that i think it's just be ready for it probably
0: okay well be ready for it you can do it with a free month though uh, so, let's de- dive a little deeper in the discovery process. Yeah. So, as you were exploring, I understand that you were in the process of looking for childcare for Serena because both you and your wife at that point were also working. Yes. Um, w- what was that like? Like, what were the steps that you took to really understand the pre-K space? Yeah.
1: So, for me, the first thing that was really compelling was just to understand how important it was. And, and again, I literally had just, had, you know, blinders on or whatever it was to, to this part of the market, and realizing that when you look at the child, the first five years of development, arguably the most important five years of development in development of a human being. It's, it's just so critical for, in every way for certainly cognitive, but physical, emotional, every, every type of development. You, then you look at the family, as you mentioned, families need, and I felt this very viscerally, they need childcare to go to work every day. It's the number one determinant in women's workforce participation. It's usually the biggest check the families are writing. It's either rent or childcare. Ooh. And depending on your zip code or the number of kids, it's usually often childcare. Um, so it, it felt profound in terms of how, how, how important it was. And for me it was just that pull of like okay i've been looking for impact it's here and what can i do and the natural orientation for me was i'm a parent i'm going to go out and solve a parent problem and so that was my first orientation and back then this is 2014 i got really great uh, advice just just go and try something like i think a lot of people toil design iterate think for a long time you know in 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 on their own and i was on my own at that point I got really great advice. Just go out there. And so actually early on in this journey, I was actually on parental leave, you know, for Serena. I started going out, and started just trying to get her into actually a childcare space. Yeah. And feeling the pain of that, I started really kind of developing some parent-related products. I quickly realized that I was off course. And I think being able to really quickly early talk to users, and in particular who were going to be the determinants, the the like the buyers. In this case, it was the small business owners and the administrators and the teachers. They were interested in the parent problems but that wasn't their the biggest thing on their minds like making parents happy actually wasn't the biggest thing that they needed to solve day to day Mm -hmm. and so it was a quick pivot into okay what are your biggest challenges and doing a lot of observing and listening and just asking like Mm -hmm. not not going in there with any predispositions of Mm -hmm. i know technology i can solve your problems just asking hey like what is most challenging for you what's what's most time consuming what if you could take one thing out of your day, what would it be um, and having those conversations as well as just observing the workflows that they had which honestly were pretty tough to observe like they were really painful these folks are, are even in the hub of, of Silicon Valley even in like the tech capital of the world running on paper more or less paper checks maybe like really old spreadsheets horrible software and kind of band-aiding together these different systems we, we benchmarked like 15 different tools wow. that they're using to run their small business and it's no different than a restaurant or a yoga studio or pick your small business, but this was one market that really had never had adequate tools, and mm. really no one took a modern SaaS approach to saying, like, how do we solve those problems? Mm. And it, it, it was at a time, and there was a trend towards just building more dedicated software for dedicated mm. verticals, and it just happened to be that this was a very big one without, frankly, any you know, real software.
0: You know, you also uh, pointed out, I think, in some of your other sort of talks that this space is also pretty regulated, which yeah. I wasn't aware about. It's mostly private business owners, if not all, yes. and it's all regulated. Could you speak to that a little bit?
1: Yeah, it's funny because I got to talk to other founders who are in uh, healthcare or they're in transportation and, and they're like butting up against, you know, like if you think about the Airbnb or Ubers, they're like fighting regulation all the time. We love regulation, like we're like, you know, regulation. So childcare is highly regulated and it, it, it's because the age of the kids, like there are certain safety things you have to take into account. And it's very different actually than K-12. And so it's, it's a small business and a childcare licensing component. And they have to deal with that. And so every day they have to know physically where kids are. They have to know the ratios of teachers to students. Have, if a kid scrapes their knee, they have to, to look at that in a certain way. And the nice thing is like all of that was being done on paper, super laborious, like it's being saved in a file drawer for a year. Software can solve that in a really easy way. and can actually like make things a lot easier and more accessible. And so the fact that like we don't fight regulation, we don't mind it, even like when COVID brought all these new regulations, we were able to quickly pivot Mm. and solve those. And so there's different relationships, I guess, to regulation. For us, it was honestly an opportunity to solve a problem.
0: That's awesome, that's awesome. And you know, um, I I also thought it was really interesting that, uh, you know, for you, you were able to go in, just to kind of highlight what you said and round it out, like you were able to go in and do research for inspiration. You actually went in with no sort of like agenda right and and that was a big deal going to these folks because you had discovered that a lot of folks I guess or even maybe yourself you went into you know in some of your earlier conversations like you're like what if we solved it in this way and they'd be like no 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 that wouldn't make sense but if you like asked an open-ended question they were like oh yeah this is what I would do and so uh, especially with like cash and checks right and so i i I really love your approach in doing the research to really suss out the problem before trying to build a product and sort of selling it
1: i appreciate that i did the wrong way first to be clear so like i went in there and i said like you don't have a mobile app would you use a mobile app you know you're you're literally going to the bank every friday would you use online banking and the answer consistently was no and that was almost enough to deter me and i had plenty of people also just saying stay away from this market so i it was actually going about the wrong way and then stepping back and saying but there has to be a way like there has to be something here and so then it was reverting and just saying going down to like the first principles fundamentals of what are the biggest pain points for these folks and how can we solve that and not having a perspective on it other than just being really really curious and letting them guide me
0: yeah so for all of these those of you out there who want to start a business right it might actually benefit just to open up the question a little bit and That's reframe right. it a little bit to start with first principles and pain points. All right. Um, well, uh, you started a company, it was just you, and then you started to add people to your team, and then you established a mission of really connecting um, educators and parents and administrators so that um, you know, the pre-K space could you know, thrive and, and, and you know, you're addressing all these pain points. You had that mission um, some seven, eight years ago has that evolved? Is that still true today? Or how, how has that developed over time?
1: It's pretty consistent. And I think that's nice for us. There are companies that will pivot in a completely different direction and become something else. For us, I saw there was a big, important market and an opportunity to, to solve problems for those folks. And you know, for us, it was, our mission is now, which has evolved wording-wise a little bit, is, is high quality early education for every child. Mm. And we focus in on, on the high quality piece of it and the every child, because we want right, well, to be everywhere and serve everyone and to serve every constituent in the market. That piece hasn't changed. I think what we have evolved on step by step is what are the right tactics to get there, and it's you know it's, it's a huge thing that we may never fully achieve. But you know how can we learn and iterate along the way and figure out strategy wise tactics execution like what is the right step to take towards that, and you know increasingly improve what we offer and, and increasingly bring that you know to more and more folks in our space.
0: You know the other part of it is. Uh... The question that might come up is, why not just use a generalizable platform, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why not, you know, use, you know, like, like Microsoft Office to yes. run the business, or just, you know, TurboTax to run the business. Yeah. And you have a perspective on this with respect to going super deep in a vertical. It's, Mind sharing that? Yeah,
1: well, it's great. Like, for anyone out there, like, exploring things, like there were so many people that tried to talk me out of this early on, and that was one of the things they said: of like, why would they either? Why would they adopt technology in your space, or why wouldn't they just use other tools like QuickBooks or mm-hmm. Microsoft or whatever it is and you know in some cases maybe the market is too small where it doesn't matter to solve that problem but if the market is big enough solving a problem that is albeit maybe small but meaty it can be really meaningful and the reality is trying to take QuickBooks or Square or anything else and adapt it to our market or even you know tools built for K through 12 it's really really different the way that they run their business the way that they manage their staff the way that they are regulated as we talked about all that's really really unique and so I you know, there's some things along the way that have been very serendipitous. One was timing where there was this trend of the verticalization of SaaS, which is like every major market now has actually one or two multi-billion dollar companies mm-hmm. that are just dedicated to offering really, really great SaaS for that space. And yes, you could maybe apply different tools, but the people in that space recognize that if I'm a restaurant, I want to buy something that's gonna help me run my restaurant, right? And and yoga studios I mentioned, or if you're a contractor or a plumber, all of that. And so we actually are, you know, we share investors with all the leaders of every mm-hmm. major vertical. And it, it is actually just a, a strategy now, which is like go out and, and be the, the winning software for that space. Amazing. And I, and I just think you can't actually fundamentally solve their problems. If, we, if they can't build parents the way we want to build parents, if they can't manage their staff or track immunizations the way that they're meant to, you're not going to actually get very far with them. And our ability to speak to them and understand them is what you know, enabled us to get to the scale.
0: It's amazing that you really spent time understanding the business model behind it. Right yeah. before actually trying to apply, you know, a set of tools. Let's talk about parents, since you brought sure. that up. So, you know, parents and children. I mean, that's a really tricky space because it requires a deep sense of trust. You're, you know, working with you know, data about, you know, their beloved children. Um, could you talk a little bit about like what you had to do to develop that sense of trust with your stakeholders, whether yeah. they're parents or administrators or educators or whatnot? Like, what was that process like?
1: So part of it is like I, I mentioned earlier, I came in as a parent originally. I'm a, mm-hmm. a parent of a newborn, and that's the perspective I took. It was really important to to change that early and figure out who are we solving the problem for. And I do think a lot of startups get st- stuck trying to solve everything for everybody, and so. Early in our space, like there's, there's 860,000 preschools and daycares in the U.S., so there's more preschools in the U.S. than there are restaurants, to give you an idea. It's, it's, a, it's a massive market. So part of it is like we can't go after the whole market. Where are we going to focus? And so let's focus on a certain segment. And then within that, let's figure out who are we building for and who, whose problems are we going to solve? And if we tried to solve the problem of the owner, administrator, teacher, and parent all at once, we truly wouldn't build anything you know, of value for any of them. And so we actually have been for the most part really just focused on within the school hmm. the owner the administrator and now the teachers how do we solve their problems hmm. and i was joking actually with somebody backstage who used the Brightwell, and i i, I basically apologize because they're a parent and we haven't touched the parent app in like five years and we've just been really really focused yeah no it's, it's like embarrassing like I, i'm not very proud of that app um but it's been like hyper hyper focused and i think a lot of people again get stuck trying to solve everything For us it was like, even now as a a larger company, we still have very limited resources. Let's Mm. know what we're solving. Let's focus on that. Let's figure out how we're gonna measure it. And I'm very excited about addressing parent needs over time. Mm. Thankfully they've been happy with the experience that we give them and we're hyper, hyper focused on the folks who are gonna buy and use the software every day.
2: Mm.
0: Raise your hands if you are using Brightwheel as a parent in the audience. See, you got some
1: fans A couple, yeah. users, hopefully (laughs) they're fans. I don't know. Yeah, at least users. So okay. I'm pretty sure
0: okay. they're fans. Um, so, during the pandemic, conditions changed. It was, was kind of interesting. Everybody was mm-hmm. at home. You know, parents were with their children. Like, what was that period like for Brightwheel and your your users and your stakeholders?
1: For us, so as a company, I'd say first of all, like we had already had three offices: so we, Bay Area, Denver, and Austin already. And so we had already figured out, in some ways, how to work across time zones mm-hmm. and as, you know, asynchronously. So in some ways that transition was maybe less hard than companies who were all on a headquarters every single yeah. day still challenges in being fully remote and really scaling a company and, and doing all that and things we have to be really intentional about on the customer side it was really interesting because everything got really bad for a while and you know our entire space shut down and there was a lot of fear there and our belief was that you know things childcare ultimately is a fundamental need it was mm-hmm. it was classified early on as one of the core uh, services that you know that would need to be protected and reopened as we talked about, you can't people can't literally go to work yeah. if there is no childcare. And so, our space was one of the first to reopen, and there were regulations made to allow for that. Um, and then, you know, there were a bunch of new things that they had to do. And mm. for us, the ability to kind of quickly change our roadmap and say we're going to solve these problems. So we launched a learning at home product for mm. them. We launched COVID protocols. We launched a bunch of things to solve those specific problems. It ended up being an accelerant for us. It was you know at a weird time when things were really hard. Our team took a lot of motivation to be able to solve these really really tangible problems because businesses that left and right were going you know going out of business so our ability to really solve the fundamentals for these folks help them reopen help them run sustainably help them like with these new regulations it was really an inspirational moment for our team and you know a moment of growth because we really could step up to that moment
0: oh that's amazing Uh, Now that we're all going back to the office in the last year or so, parents uh, who have been with their children, some, you know, their children don't know any other existence than them working from home. Mm -hmm. What has that been like now that parents and children are not sort of spending all their time together at home?
1: I I mean, from the company side, we've been always very open about it. If a kid runs across the Zoom screen, like, we're going to be very welcoming of that for our our demographic and our type of work. And then what we saw is, basically, our our space returned to to full enrollment pretty quickly. Mm. There's some staffing shortages and some challenges there, but I think this, you know, th- there's always more need than supply in our space, and so the ability to go find a spot, get in, and go through that process is, is uh, frankly, like what it was before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in that way, there've been challenges and ups and downs through COVID for our space, but it's actually brought the attention to early education in a lot of ways, like in many, like even in political spheres, early education is now talked about more Mm. than higher ed and and K-12, and and really shine the light. Because I think, as you said, parents are feeling the pain. and I think there's a lot of empathy there. Like they're dealing with their kid all day long. They feel a lot more for, you know, the teacher, the preschool teacher, the childcare worker who is like literally doing that work across many, many kids every day
0: yeah i've uh, i've had colleagues who are like oh my kids don't want to eat what i cook them anymore like i understand now what you know pre-k was doing for my day-to-day so thank you for that Uh, let's talk about a little bit more about people so we touched upon your staff during the pandemic and i think you have a very strong philosophy of how to build a team and who um how to hire how to find great candidates that you know fit with bright strategy and culture mind sharing a little bit about that
1: no of course i'd say like for me, some of the big learnings are, are, well one, the biggest wins and misses for me have largely come back to people. Yeah. And then two is you can have the most amazing idea, the biggest market, the, the best product, whatever it is. But if you can't bring the right people around you to go solve that, you're gonna be you know on your own and, and never get to that point every time. So for me, like the importance of people was something I didn't fully appreciate when I got into this uh, journey and figuring out really who we were going to be as a company mm. And both, you know, through our wins and the things that we were doing well, as well as the times that we brought on folks who weren't a match, mm. really taking those moments to be introspective and say, like, who do we want to be? And mm. I think I didn't fully appreciate it until this experience that, you know, you'll have someone who really is excited and thrives at company A, like Amazon, and then they go to Google and they hey, hate it and they bounce back or vice versa or whatever. And each company, rightly so, is going to develop its own DNA that makes it successful. Understanding that, actually defining it, reinforcing it, making sure it lives throughout the organization, particularly now being remote, is one of the most important things that I have to do today. And again, I didn't fully appreciate that. So you know, whether it's values or we call them leadership principles, the things that make you super unique as a company that are going to allow you to achieve that huge vision, that huge mission, you, you have to be frankly kind of uncompromising in those things and help people understand that. And the, one of the best things that we can do is in the interview process be very open. Because some people are going to come in, and they're going to be super excited about that. And some people are not. And we'd rather be very open about that and then help people understand what we value in terms of their growth at Brightwheel.
0: How do you test for that in an interview?
1: It's tough. Because I, I, at this point now, like, the standard thing is, oh, like, let's look at your resume. Let's look at your LinkedIn. Whatever it is, it's, it's a match. So let's go. We put way less emphasis on that now. And so we really try to dig in and say, okay, like, we have um, uh, a leadership principle called think critically, move fast. And so we're going to really probe and go deep on an example or give you a a hypothetical and really figure out, are you a critical thinker? And at the same time, are you going to just sit and think or can you take action? And Do you have a bias for action? Um, You know, we have one that just is focused on customers. And so we're going to understand how you value customers and bring that into your process. So we have literally, we have these eight leadership principles. We we divvy them up amongst the interview group. Mm. We put scores against those. We debate them. If we don't get enough data, we go back and, and get more. And so it's being really, really direct. This is something I learned at Amazon, frankly. Amazon has 14 leadership That's principles. Right. Everybody splits them up. You figure it out. And you really, again, are uncompromising. And like the bar is so high. And you feel really great that by the time you get to, to hire somebody, they're, they're really uh, the, you know, the right person for the right role. Um, and so I, you know, in, in a more nimble maybe startup way have brought that into Brightwheel.
0: That's awesome, that's awesome. Okay, now we've made them wait for a very long time. <laughs> let's talk about Shark Tank. That <laughs> yeah, was kind of an unconventional decision upon your part as a startup to decide to pitch uh, SaaS, a SaaS company on yeah. Shark Tank. Like maybe a little bit more about the experience. Like what was it like meeting Mark Cuban? What was it like talking to Chris Sacca? Like what happened?
1: Yeah, first of all, I never thought I told totally, you I got into this path very organically. Like it was, I, was, I was getting pulled into this industry, and I wanted to solve problems. I never thought I would end up being on reality TV. So it was not like a path that I sought out or ever thought about at, at any point. And it still feels honestly foreign to me to like look at that screen and see like myself up there. So um, it 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 was very like serendipitous how it all unfolded. Like, um, but I was intentional about it. And the reason I went and went to a live tryout with like my daughter Serena in my arm, which I think helped a lot. She was like. Uh, year plus at that point point. Right. and so like you know I, th- I won some hearts and minds in that moment and and did a live tryout it took the time at a time when we were like four people in the company really struggling we had just launched it was the worst time to go like invest a lot of time in trying to get on the shark tank but when you think about our core audience of you know um, small business owners preschool teachers parents mm-hmm. there's few places to go reach them in mm-hmm. in the way that we you can through that medium mm-hmm. and so it was intentional um, and it wasn't, a re- it, was, it was about Brightwheel. It wasn't about trying to get on reality TV. Um, but for me, it, w- it was a really eye-opening experience. They take it very seriously. So when you say like, what was it like meeting Mark Cuban or Chris Saka? When I walked out on that carpet, they had no idea who I was. They knew nothing about me. Um, they weren't allowed to. And I've heard that people even got kicked off the show if they tried to create contact before. So like, it's completely cold. It's a long pitch. Like that was, the whole thing was 12 minutes of screen time. I was out there for about an hour and a half, under like very very hot lights, answering questions like down to like what payment processor do you use uh, on your on your backend. Um So it was like it was very real in a number of ways. They went and did diligence afterwards. So I was really impressed with like the, the realness of it. And then certainly it's been really great for us to tell our story over time, you know, to our customers who are schools, to employees, you know, who would want to look at Brightwheel. Um, they did a really nice job of kind of patching it to, pa- packaging it in a way where. We got to, you know, show who we are on Friday night, ABC <laughs> primetime.
0: It's amazing. It's amazing. Any tips for folks out here who might want to go the Shark Tank route?
1: I, well, I first of all, no, like, it's, it's a serious investment if you're actually thinking about it. Like, I didn't appreciate, I was like, oh, I'll go to this tryout with my daughter. And then, we'll, you know, I'll go to Hollywood if I get there. There were, like, 20 rounds of, like, Jeez. I got through the first one, <laughs> fill out a 70-page handwritten essay. You can't, you know, they really are trying to weed people out and then like 15 different video tryouts finally you get there and then they still tell you that they're going to cut 30% of the people who actually get who who film so uh it's it, no no it's a, it's a huge in my the entire time my my team is like like our our founder is like off doing this stuff like why aren't you with us like uh they were questioning me a lot obviously during that time because it was a very expensive time to be investing in that um so just know that it it, it it they take it seriously it's a huge investment if it works out, it can be great. And, and I've, I've helped folks since then who've who've gotten, gotten that opportunity to, to go on.
0: Wow, thank you for that backstage glimpse. That was pretty fun. Yeah. Okay, final question, and we're gonna open it up for questions on Zoom, as well as uh, the audience here in person. Great. Um, so, at one point, many moons ago, you were sitting in these seats, and um, if you could go back to that sort of first week, freshman orientation at Stanford in 1999, mm-hmm. Um, and you could channel a, a piece of advice or some wisdom to young Dave. <laughs> what would that little bit of advice be?
1: I, I won't take that as a knock against young Dave, First <laughs> of now, but... Um, well, a part of it is, is you know, it, for me, it was being, there's some serendipity, right? I told you, like, literally allowing myself to go explore that first Friday and go over these East Palo Alto. So part of it is just take opportunities, and I think that mm-hmm. would be the main thing is seek out opportunities and take risks. Like, I think the moments along the way that I challenged myself, that I put myself, you know, outside of my comfort zone, whether it was on campus or off campus or traveling or taking a job, you know, whatever it might be, those are the moments when I most, you know, figured out what was possible, what I was, what I was capable of and what I where I wanted to go. And so um, seeking out risk in some manner, you know, in a thoughtful way, depending on your risk tolerance. but. Um, and seeking out opportunity and and fully kind of wrapping your arms around it. I think that that's a big one. Um, And then I guess for me, like, I mean, I know this is like an entrepreneurship course. Mm -hmm. My my perspective coming into it is that it is, there's a lot of spotlight on it that makes it seem very, um, it's all like rainbows and, and unicorns and it's all very sexy and it's all really great. And I think there isn't a lot of attention given to just, the grind of it. And I think a lot of people get into it. and They, they read the TechCrunch articles of all the funding. That's obviously the narrative is changing a bit now, but there's a lot of emphasis on the big milestones, the big funding coming through, the big wins. The reality is like it, you know, it, it really is tough. And I think if if you get into it for uh, the wrong reasons, if your heart isn't in it, or if you're not ready to sign up for a long journey, it, it's going to be really tough. And so I think folks need to go in eyes wide open that you're signing up. You know, if you make it for seven ten plus years through a lot of ups and downs a lot of sacrifices along the way like whatever might be family friends like pick your sacrifice but um i think the glorification sometimes of founders or startups can sometimes then surprise people when they actually get into it and i I would admit i was surprised so
0: Mm. and um, you were already prepared you had thought through some of these things
1: yeah but i think just like how there's it's unnatural i think what startups do Mm. it's unnatural the, the ability to create something in the time in which they create it and often at the scale which they create it is, is abnormal. It's not, it, you know, and I often I tell the team, like, we're creating, you know, in what we do in one year is what companies used to do in 15, right? And so I think to get through those hurdles, it has to be hard. Otherwise, everyone literally would do it and there would be a ton of bright wheels. And so I think knowing going in that there are going to be challenges, there are going to be hurdles, you have to be willing to stick with it, yet also know when to learn and, and change course. And, and kind of be headstrong all the way that like you're doing it for the right reasons mm. all that is yeah it's just it's hard it's it's, it's a grind and so i think <laughs> i would at least coach myself a little bit to know going in and then also maybe say don't do it when you have like a three-month-old that <laughs> that isn't fully sleep trained yet because <laughs> uh, that yeah those first couple months were tough oof,
2: oof.
0: so worth it
1: oh no, I no yeah I, I i wake up every day super grateful to get to do this like we are at a, at a size and scale now which is like incredibly rewarding um and like I tell the team, literally, when we grow and earn money, so when we add a new school, we make, we make the world a better place. Every, every school we add, we have a profound impact on all the constituents, even the community around that school. Yes. And so every time we put a dot on the map, we, we know you know the value of the work that we're doing. So rewarding without question. Incredible. Uh, definitely Incredible.
0: Tough. Well, let's open it up to the audience for some questions. Over there. Hi. Um, thank you for an interesting talk. I'm Ethan. I got a PhD in double from here, from Stanford. And in one of these talks, I met Elon Musk 20 years ago. So <laughs> We're but, <seeing> you <laughs> he gave uh, the talk about the SpaceX. You can find know. it in YouTube. Cool. And there was less people then than here. So probably you will do much better. So
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know that, that bar, but thank you. So
0: the question is why did you decide to go that route and know the traditional, I mean, a lot of people, go the traditional route like in page mill avenue what was so attractive about that was the experience of it i don't think it was any easier because 20 rounds uh was the the money that you wanted to raise mm. so what made you go that route versus other routes
1: so I, I i i should say i did go the page mill route too so i had already raised some funding before that and so for me it was really the value that shark tank uniquely brings which is ex- exposure and you know like i i would say that the both mark cuban and chris saka have been far more helpful than i realized they treat it as a real venture investment, they're uh, frankly very accessible. They, they check in regularly. They've con- continued to invest over the years. So um, they, you know, it basically is, is, is the, the value is just immense. Like when you think about it, this is ABC primetime television. People are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars for a 30-second spot on, you know, on, t- during that show to show a commercial. I walked away with six hundred grand, and you know, and and got a, a couple, you know, good amount of time. So it really was that that opportunity to tell our story, um, more than anything. And again, I, I probably undervalued that in some ways, as well as undervalued, you know, the, the the contributions that Mark and Chris and their teams would make over time. Yeah. Dave, thank
0: you very much for sharing your story. As a fellow parent, I can definitely relate to doing a lot of things with a little child at home, and just the general experience. Uh, My question is this, so it sounds like the idea was born around the product, right, first, because there was a need for this product for you as a parent and so forth. At what point, as you were building the company, at what point did you transition from product focus to more kind of operationalizing it and building really the company and operations and healthy pipeline?
1: Yeah, it's a really great question. So part of it, I would say uh, it started with the pain of it. and so. It was actually eye-opening. Frankly, it, I could feel it viscerally the, the, the pain that these folks felt day-to-day of managing a business and, you know, a, a preschool or childcare uh, being highly regulated, managing staff and families. It, it was it was overwhelming. And I think I, I, I borrowed a phrase early on that, that we were going to be a painkiller, not a vitamin. And so figuring out, you know, like and I say, you'll know, forget to take the vitamin day-to-day, but when you need the painkiller, you're going to seek it out and use it every day. And so we wanted to solve that pain. So my, my starting point was just, cataloging that and understanding that. and There are different ways that to go from there. There are, there are people who build quietly for a long time and then launch something, and I decided that we were going to move really fast. I read a book early on called The Lean Startup that was really um, influential for me, which is get, get something out and iterate and learn. So we launched in 2015 with a free product, very basic, doesn't do you know, a fraction of what we do today, and we didn't charge for it. We actually lost money on every transaction, but we learned and we learned all the time. And so when we eventually, you know, over the, the next two years, I figured out roughly what the business model was going to be, what people were roughly willing to pay, and how we were going to kind of carve things out. We only launched a paid version of Brightwill, you know, which is the core of the company today, two years later in 2017. Hmm. And so again, some people might wait and launch that, you know, a year or two in. And for me, it was, no. let's just get out there and, you know, earn some respect, earn some love, but learn every day through the product. Um, uh, and so you know it, different ways of going about it, but that's been kind of generally how we try to run the company.
0: Hi, thank you for sharing. Um, in the beginning of your talk, you mentioned that rather than like sitting and designing and kind of thinking about it that someone told you to just go do it. Can you kind of describe what that step from like step zero to step one was like, and kind of how that propelled you forward?
1: Yeah, so I felt very blocked early on because it was a there's a lot to go do and think about and solve in our space. Like you have, the business owner, the, the, t- the, uh, the administrators, the teachers, the parents. And I, as I said, I actually was focusing on the parents first wrongly and started thinking, okay, I'm going to go build an app. I got to go figure something out. The best advice, which I, I now am offering for free, I guess, is, is uh, just literally go test something. And so I, I created a, I don't even know what it was on, but probably some PowerPoint slide or whatever, and acted like I had a real product. And I went door to door and showed it and got feedback on it. And basically got beaten up through that process because just people were like, that's fine, but not the thing. And if I had like toiled away and built that thing for a while, it would have been totally the wrong thing. And so quickly getting that feedback of this is not our biggest problem, let's talk about what is. Then I went back and built another fake thing, and it, at the time we called Kid Casa, and that was just a way to get to market quickly. I created that, I created you know a list of seven names, pick one, and then put it on paper and said, okay, now we have this. What do you think of this? It's ready to go. Let's talk about like what you need for it. And then through that process was, was able to convince, you know, one, eventually two uh, small childcare providers in San Francisco, just to beta with me. And so then eventually just built with them. And so it was kind of an iterative process to like figure it out until I had enough to know what I could build. Built a really, you know, not great early version of Kid Casa, but again, just continue to the, even to the last question, just continue iterating and learning.
0: Let's take a Zoom question. So, Mandy, if you want to read the top one. Yeah. All right, most upvoted question on Zoom. Can you elaborate a little more on the value added for teachers? Do you notice some kind of initial pushback from teachers? It seems to be more work overload for them.
1: Hmm. So, it was interesting, coming in, I think there are really different approaches. I, I consider us ultimately a SaaS company, but when you look at education companies, there are a lot of folks that come in and say, look, we know better, we know how to solve your problems. We took a very different approach, which is what are your pain points? What are the most challenging things, whether you're an administrator or a teacher, and how do we solve that? And what are the things that we can do to solve that? Um, And do it in a way that feels intuitive. And so like even to the early iterations, it was figuring out how quickly can we get that job done? There's a, a framework called work to be done or jobs to be done. How do we get that done as quickly and efficiently and easily as possible to the point where they can pick it up and get the stuff done that they're doing anyway really, really easily. And so we don't come in and say, Brightwell does an an insane amount of things. We don't say do all these things. We say take the things you're doing today and we promise we'll make life life easier and save you measurable time and then earn their respect with that. And then over time we get to do more and more for them. But we take a very teacher, educator, owner-centric view of we want to solve your problem, whatever that problem is, and do it in the best way possible.
0: All right, you've been waiting so patiently. Yes, I know you mentioned the importance of hiring, and I was just curious if you'd um, speak a little bit about your first few hires. uh, Were people that you knew, um, like engineers, or what was it that you started with for your first or your your core founding team?
1: Yeah, I I did it the wrong way because (laughs) I was, I I built up a a group of folks up at Amazon that I, I got to know really well and built trust with them and then decided to relocate to the Bay Area to start a company uh, with my wife. Um, So at the time, it was really starting fresh. And really, in that time, this is back in 2014, you really only worked with the people that you were physically around day to day. And I didn't have a great group of folks to bring in. And so, um, you know, it was really like putting out job postings at the time on AngelList um, and saying, you know, I had some hope of, of like the mission that would speak to people. And then really like literally meeting people every single day and trying to convince them of of it and there were a couple early folks who were willing enough to take a gamble It um, you know it helped that we had some funding early on so it wasn't you know fully risky for them but in particular i think it spoke to people who wanted to do something meaningful do something good like one of the very first engineers that i hired he knew nothing about our space he didn't really even care about it that much but he wanted to do something good for the world mm-hmm and he wanted to leave where he was to do that. And so we struck up a conversation around that, convinced him he stayed on for five years. Um, but a lot of the early work, to your question, is like being the champion and the motivator and the person who can, who can paint that vision enough so that you can get a couple people around the table. And then, you know, once you get that core group, it becomes a lot easier.
2: Okay.
0: Hi. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story about um, working with students in East Palo Alto, just as somebody who does the same. Um, so, given the long history of inequality in ed tech and how it can sometimes be something that really exacerbates existing inequalities, um, how is Brightwheel or how have you made Brightwheel not something that's just for wealthy
1: preschools? That's a great question. So, there was a lot of skepticism I, I had early on, whether it was folks interested in impact or even investors. And they thought, oh, this is going to be uh, a Silicon Valley wealthy preschool product um, that certain demographics will buy. And I felt confident enough early on that the pain that we were solving uh, was going to be universal, and I had to test that, you know, throughout different markets throughout the country and different demographics throughout the country. And every round of funding that we've taken on, it's been really important to me to bring on an impact investor who actually is going to help us think about this and help hold us accountable. Hopefully, you heard from me, it's been a big part of my life and my work. And so, you know, having them around the table is is a part of it, and a part of it is just what we care about and what we prioritize and I, I think the the main thing i can say now is bright wheels and literally if you took a paint can and like threw it against the wall we're in every type of school across the country certainly all 50 states and, and global but all types of schools all pedagogies all price points all demographics and some of the biggest impact that we have actually is in schools in, in disadvantaged areas where you know for them uh, it's actually less a question of funding we're not a super expensive product but the impact is outsized because they don't have access usually to tools like this. And a big part of what we want to do is actually democratize really great tools. Um, and so, and then in some cases we have partnered, like we serve a lot of nonprofit organizations and Head Starts, where we work with them to, to discount in the right ways. Uh, but the really rewarding thing has been, you know, for us we have kept price low in a number of ways um, and focused on the value that we add. And I really, you know, what we hear and what we see is that will really is accessible to everybody, and we're able to then measure the impact. And so. If you go into uh, a tough area and you're able to, to save them measurable time, so we save up to an hour per staff member per day and give them time back to, the, to spend time with the kids or to, to even frankly just go home on time. And then if you're helping on the parent side as well, it has a huge impact and frankly an outsized impact in those types of, of scenarios.
0: I know we have a few more questions, but I do have to bring it to a close. This was an amazing conversation. I learned so much about EdTech today. So. Uh, couple of comments and then we're going to give them a huge round of applause. So uh, next week we're going to have Entrepreneurial Thought Leader Series again at 4.30 here uh, and our speaker will be Nikila Viswanathan who is the co-founder and CEO of Alchemy, so come and learn about web tech, Web3. Uh, if you're curious about these talks, uh, go to the Stanford eCorner, uh, eCorner.stanford.edu, you can find more talks going back 20, 30 years. I guess you and I were here, we had yes. to scale back <laughs> then. And uh, there's podcasts, there's articles, there's much more content on entrepreneurship and engineering at Stanford. So uh, let's give Dave a huge round of applause and that thank
1: you.